Hello, and welcome back to The Mason Jar here on the Circe Institute Podcast Network. I am David Kern, and this being The Mason Jar, I am joined by Cindy Rollins, the uh, the star of The Mason Jar. Cindy, how's it going? Are you... Is baseball season over yet? We'll start there. Well, it would be if we weren't in the regional finals. So. <laughs> if you weren't <laughs> we, so good. Yeah, so uh, we have tonight, Alex is pitching, and he will be pitching in the final game. Well, he will be pitching in the first regional game. We won our district. So nice. now we move on to the regionals, and, and it's been it's been so exciting. So tonight is either going to be, you know, agony or victory. <laughs> so... Uh, is his favorite is that his favorite position is he like being on the mound or is he is he like being on the field or what's his he what's likes his... both he's really he's really a cerebral player he likes he likes the mental game of pitching mm, but um yeah, yeah. he loves playing shortstop and man he he's he's a good shortstop he, he's fun to watch he is just a fun player to watch so I'm at sorry, the in case anybody wants to sign <laughs> sign a contract with him <laughs> <laughs> so um two questions one does he want to follow in a couple of his brother's footsteps and play in college well he doesn't want to have a lot of debt for college so he could go to a, like a d1 a d3 school and and i, I think it's going to just be what happens this next uh this summer he's playing ball mm -hmm. this summer he doesn't okay. want to he doesn't want to go to a you know a fifty thousand dollar school so he could play baseball yeah, but, yeah, yeah. um and, and end up with a lot of debt but he if he can play baseball he would really like to yeah. Yeah. Um, and then does it, where, would you say at the risk of making you choose favorites or whatever, where does he, how does he compare to his, his brothers in terms of their skill? Cause I know one of his brothers was like, what the Georgia college player of the year or something. Yeah. Yeah. I just saw James was here yesterday for mother's day. And I said, you know, when I talk in, in the stands about you, I always say, James, you know, my son that won Georgia player of the year. <laughs> so, um, he he laughed at me, but um, I said I have to have my bona fides somehow. I have to let these people know I know what I'm talking about when I say yeah, that exactly. pitch was not a strike. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But um, yeah, no. So so well, James, they're they're totally different. James is like my biggest son, like big as big shoulders and mm. um, you know Strong. just. A, strong player yeah. and then alex is they just ran a, a really cute article about him he cute is not the right word for 17 i read that oh yeah so he's only 120 pounds and he's very small um but he has a lot of finesse and he has a lot of heart and mm -hmm. and they caught that in this article so we we all got a kick out of that nice um, and you're having baseball too, right? Yeah, yeah, we. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit different. There's not the the uh, agony and the sense of victory are are experienced a little bit differently by the kids. Yes. Um, virtually not at all. Yeah, I was gonna say, just as so long as they get an ice cream afterwards, right? They, yeah, exactly. They do. I will say that they do spend more time in the dugout talking about uh, who's winning than I thought they would. Okay. Um, and I, I'm afraid. I'm a little afraid that that might be my son who's being a ringleader <laughs> on that because he's yeah. always aware of things like that. But yeah, uh, Jeremiah and Coulter, they play five, six uh, coach pitch ball. So they've got one game left and then they have a little tournament, whatever that looks like. But um, I feel like I, that's strong character. If you care who wins, that shows you care about something. I, I yeah, feel like they, that shows they do, character. They do talk about it. All. It's been interesting though, um, watching them learn some some interesting lessons, I guess, because Jeremiah is funny because he like, like Alex, he's very small. He's, he's one of the younger people on the team, but he also, even for his age is pretty small. Um, and he, like, he's just kind of hasn't had a growth spurt and he hasn't 
got like he mm. runs kind of funny still and all that. Right. But he has incredible hand-eye coordination and amazing balance. Like if he was a gymnast, I, Bethany always says he'd be yeah. a good gymnast. Yeah. So he's the one that like he he can't he doesn't hit it very hard, but he always makes contact. Well, that's exactly, and his on base percentage will probably be really good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's a lefty though, so we've had to teach him hit it to the third base line because at this level, if you hit it to the first base line you never get to the base in time. They always, he almost always gets out if you hit it down the first baseline because you don't hit it out of the infield at that right, end. Very right. far. Like very that's rarely. You just, it, that's the one place they can actually get it to the base. <laughs> right, exactly. So if you hit it to the first baseman, even if the kid bobbles it, he's probably going to get it. And unless you're super fast, the ball is going to beat you to the base. Yeah. So, but but he, he is so happy-go-lucky, I guess, the best way of putting it for him. He doesn't... Aww. Like he could get up there and strike out and he, and it doesn't really phase him. He's just that kind of kid. Right, um, right. And he has, he doesn't, he's not worried about the game. He's just is liking it. You know, he's just out there having fun. And so he's got good balance, good hand-eye coordination. He makes contact a lot. Coulter is much more, um, he gets in his own head a lot more. So yeah. he, he's a little yeah. older and he can hit it hard. Um, and he's got really quick hands and all that. But in coach pitch, they often lob the ball and he has not yet learned to wait back on it. Yeah. So he needs the coaches to actually throw it hard because he's got right. good hands, quick hands, so he can get through the zone and get a hit. Um, but he went through a phase where he struck out like six times in a row. Yeah. And yeah. It seems like I, everybody goes through that in the middle, like somewhere in the season. Yeah, for sure. And that's the thing is like, those are the things you learn about baseball. So I was telling him, you know, we were watching a pro game and one of the best players struck out four times in the game. And I was saying, see, it's not, it's, you know, it happens to everybody, but I was behind the plate helping, you know, I, I help coach and I was behind the plate and he came up to me and it was his turn to bat and he said, I'm not going to hit it. I just know I'm not going to hit it. And you know, it's one of those things So he had to learn to just sort of, you know, have some confidence, take a deep breath, not worry about it. Um, and like, it's just part of learning baseball. So it's been interesting to, to kind of, you kind of have to let him go through that in a yeah, way. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, really. And he gets difficult. very, dis- if he can't explain it, he gets very discouraged. So like he's playing shortstop and they're trying to teach him if the ball goes to the third baseman, you got to go cover behind the third baseman in case it gets past him. Oh yeah. Or if the yeah. ball gets hit to the right side of the infield, you got to go cover second base. And there's so many different scenarios they're trying to teach these little kids. And the, most of the kids are just like, whatever, I don't understand it. I'll just run over here. He's very much like, if I don't understand all the different scenarios, he kind of gets panicky. Yeah. Because he yeah. really wants to understand it. So it's been right. interesting seeing him process all that too. Well, good, because when he gets to high school, then he won't be one of those kids. You're like, why didn't you go cover third base? Yeah, why was no one saying that? Jeremiah's yeah. the one who the ball will like go 10 feet past him and he's uh, staring off into space thinking about why the, the airplane that flew over or something. Yeah, yeah. He's younger though. So. Right, right. Well, yeah, it's, it's nice when they can play together and it always helps the little guys to play with somebody a little older. They oh, it does, do yeah. pay attention. Well, I, I think... Oh yeah, go, I'm sorry. No, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was talking to my grandson. And I said, "Oh, I, Uncle Alex hit a home run," and he said, "And he's your boy's age. He's he's in kindergarten." He said, "Is a home run?" He goes, "I think I hit a home run." Is a home run where you run to first base and they say, "Keep going, go to the next base," <laughs> and then they say, "Keep going," and then you come all the way in. I said, "Yes, that's a home run." <laughs> he said, "Well, I did that too." <laughs> it's a little bit different than that. Uh, everybody's just throwing it all around you. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, well, I think we've probably exhausted the amount of time that people will listen to us. talk yes, about. F- I'm sorry, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm sure we've got plenty of people who, who are in the middle of baseball season too, who are understanding them. We do have a few baseball fans out there. <laughs> 
Uh, well, let's, we're here to answer some listener questions, or rather you are, and I'm here to ask them. So we've got some questions here from a couple of people, um, and we'll try to get through as many of these as we can. Um, this person, let's see, we'll start. Let's see. We'll start with this one. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. All right. So this person asks whether you scheduled a certain amount of time for each subject or like say a certain amount of work, or did you sort of combine them? So did you schedule out specific times and amounts of times, blocks of times for each of your kids for each of the subjects? This person says that her kids have lists they work through each day, which the pros of that are that they benefit when they discipline themselves to be focused and diligent. And then also she doesn't have to be a timekeeper, but she also says that it, the cons seem to be that sometimes they don't manage their time well and their school day drags on all day, which of course is not really the Charlotte Mason way of life. Right. So right. she wants to, to know if, well, she says she's not sure if the workload for them is too much um, and they would rather do it quickly than do it well. So I guess yeah. there's two scenarios there. So how do you deal with with that uh, that question? Yeah, I think that's always going to be a dance because I think when I was doing my yearly schedules or their daily schedules, I always had the time in mind. And of course, you have a, a fantasy time, I guess you could call it mom's fantasy time, that how long this will take and, and the actual time that it really takes. Because I always made a block of two hours, say... And this, it really does cut down on what you can fit in. If you have, say you have morning time for an hour and a half, and then you have math, you, you schedule about an hour for math, and then you want your kids reading for at least a couple hours a day. Um, and they can do some of that that you can count for after school, like free reading. Uh, so maybe an hour of reading in the middle of the school day. And then, you know, that doesn't leave a ton of time left. And you're right. In a Charlotte Mason homeschool, you know, you're technically you're supposed to be done in the morning with your, your academic work. The thing I would say here is that, that number one, Charlotte Mason, um, they went six days a week and we don't. Number two, um, in a large family, you are fragmenting the day a little more than you would if you were in a school. So, so you are going to be doing laundry or maybe your kids are going to need to get outside and play at lunchtime or in the middle of the day or like right after morning time, maybe people need, you know, 15 minutes to regroup. But um, it, your day is going to tend to to lengthen out when you have a lot of people and you're and you're and you're juggling all that. It just I don't know any other way to actually um I mean, I'm sure nowadays with so many amazing moms out there who have figured things out, and we've had a few on the podcast, there are families who can finish things up in the morning and, and then have the afternoons free. Mm-hmm. But um, and, and, and there is a sense where um, if your children are not going to, that you want to be careful, you, you don't want them to just have unlimited free time on their hands. Not that unlimited, not that free time isn't good for them and that they shouldn't have a lot of free time, but, but they could have free time intermixed throughout their day a little bit if, if it had to be. So I know the frustration of having a child. Free time between. Yeah. Between gaps. Yeah. I, I think that works well. I think that, um, that even, if you can't, if you could finish school up by one or two, that would be ideal. For me in a large family, I think two would be a normal time to finish up school. To actually, you'd have pretty much, you know, you get up, if you're working from 8.30 
two, two with in and out, you should be able to get everything done. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't mean every child will finish everything. And that's the dance that I, it used to be so frustrating with some of my kids, you know, you would give them their amount of work and they just barely get it done or they take an hour and a half on a math lesson. Um, when they shouldn't have, you know, should have only taken an hour. And none of that was anything but just, you know, staring out the window or wiggling around because they didn't want to do it. So one of the things that this questioner, um, this question asker, what's the, what's the, what's the way we (laughs) can put that? This questioner uh, says that she's not sure if, if her workload for the kids is too much. Are there, um, or, or if it's that they just want to get through it quickly, like if, is it is it the kid's problem or is it the parent's problem, I guess, is, is sort of the dichotomy she's presenting there or, or wondering about. So are there any clues or cues or whatever that can help you determine whether or not the workload that you're putting in front of your kids is is too much? Like, how do you make that decision? And I know that that varies from family to family, subject to subject and student to student, but are there any kind of like universal principles that are worth watching out for? Yeah, I mean, if they're not at all engaged, it might be because you're doing too much. I I look back now and I think we spent far too much time on math. I think my kids would have, if I had known how to teach math in a shorter amount of time and and in a better way, which I didn't, um, you know, all I knew was give them the book, make them do the lesson. But it, but really, there's a finite amount of math that you're going to learn, say, you know, before you get into real serious high school math, and and when you it really doesn't take as much time as it takes us to do, learn that amount of math. So I do think Charlotte Mason was on to something there. And I, I think in our family, we could have done less math better and the kids would have been far less burnout and their school day would have been much more pleasant for them. And they wouldn't have dreaded it because there was always this looming awful thing of math. And most of my kids did not grow up loving math. I mean, I had more than one child go to college and we've talked about that before with the, the goal of never, ever doing whatever manipulation they could to not take another math lesson. And that makes me <laughs> Yeah, that sad. was actually me. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I hate that because I feel like they genuinely could have liked math if we, if I just, you know, known what I know now and had, yeah. and had done, I feel like if they had done less math, they would have liked it better. They would have felt hopeful and they would have learned mm. what they needed to learn. Now that, that's hindsight, either that's a fantasy, romantic hindsight, or that is, you know, wisdom. I don't know which it is. So you guys can try that out and see. There's a fine line, right? Yeah, there really um, is. I, I think as someone who who was sort of in that same boat where like when I got to college, I was taking basically logic courses as math credits. Yeah, um, yeah. And uh, through the philosophy department, actually. Um, <laughs> but I, looking back... It was you mentioned that that your your kids might have felt more hope about it, and I think that that was sort of one of the things that I always felt about math. Like I know this is I've like I sort of recognized what I was good at and what I wasn't good at, and that I wasn't naturally gifted in math. Like I didn't naturally see see how right. math worked. It didn't in come mathematical way. Yeah. yeah, it didn't like come naturally to me. So it took a lot of work, and the the volume of it became really overwhelming, like to get every lesson down and to do really well in every test and all that, it became overwhelming and it felt like a hopeless situation. So then it becomes, you know, then that's where you just do enough to kind of get by, right? Because that's, you can kind of, there's more hope that you can get by than there is that you can excel. Or Um, like it or or even care about it. And I think that my dad always talks about how 
especially with math, and this is true of language arts as well, that we don't dislike math or music or practicing music or whatever it is. We dislike the sort of confusion or not under, the, the lack of understanding that comes with it. It's not the thing itself that we don't like. It's our sort of place within that thing. Um, Maybe it's the humility it would take us to 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 put ourselves under the discipline of it. Maybe. I think there is something to the idea of like, if you go a little slower and you change the... The perception, not the, yeah. Right? It's not even the demands, I think. You, well, you can still be demanding of a student, but you can do that. You can be demanding of them in a way that doesn't ask them to um, know so much at one time, for example. Like throwing them in the deep end of the pool. and, and uh, Right, right, yeah, yeah exactly. And I, that's how I felt. So I, I, I sort of uh, empathize and sympathize with that, with that perspective. Yeah. And I see, I, I was teaching this year math and I wasn't doing a very good job. And I was having to take this, my student way back just because I couldn't figure out where he was. Well, we hired an, a math teacher who is um, just a math genius. And she took him from where I was working on third and fourth grade math. And he's in pre-algebra right now. And this is all in weeks amount of time. And, and I, it just, it, it, I, I just thought, I wish, I genuinely wish that I had done less math um, with my kids and that, and, and I do think they would have liked it better if, if we had done that. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. that's what I hope, but so. Yeah. Okay. Um, then, yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Finish your thoughts. No, on I was going to say the other, lag. yeah, the other thing with that scenario is if you have a child, not talking about math anymore, but just a daily schedule is a child who you give the normal daily schedule that you would give to any child. And that child comes to you at 10, 15 and says, Oh, I finished all my schoolwork. I'm going to go outside and play. <laughs> You're just So, so then you, right. you pile it on, you pile, you add more, you add more, you add more. And the, the child continually um, gets it done. Alex, um, when he was a little kid, he used to take his list and go downstairs right and go before he went to bed at night for about an hour and a half. And he, he basically did homework so that the next day he would just feel like he was already done with his schoolwork. <laughs> and that kind of frustrated me because during the schoolwork time, I wanted him to do schoolwork, but I also saw that that was his personality and he, 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 and he was doing what I wanted him to do. So what, how fair was it for me to pile more work on him because he was diligent the night before? Right. Yeah. So it's a real, it's really. It, it didn't fit your system, but he right. was still sort of. He, he, yeah. Maybe he was not following the law of it, but he was still sort of following the spirit of it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, I mean, you, you have different kids, you have kids that are super slow just because they're over there. Some kids can't handle a list because it overwhelms them. You pretty much have to just dole it out to them. Now go oh, do this. Right, now yeah. go do this. Yeah. Some kids, um, um, you know, neat, will, will respond very well to a list and they will get it done early. And some kids will be fine with the list, but they just will have trouble. Um, and, and judging whether your child's lazy or has a character issue or is is overwhelmed, sometimes it looks like laziness, but like we're talking about with math, it might just be, you know, despair. So um, it all of that is what makes the whole thing so difficult. Hmm. Um. Well, let's jump to the next question then. Okay, good. <laughs> um, 
Before we do, though, I want to say a quick word from our friends over at um, the Templeton Honors College, because if you are interested in delving into the world of J.R.R. Tolkien and want to discuss things like what role fantasy literature has to play in our faith, or maybe even you want to spend a few days uh, discussing the relationship between faith and politics, then the uh, collaboration between the Templeton Honors College and the St. Basil Institute for Orthodox Thought and Culture might be an ideal uh, program for your high school age students, if, if they're interested in that sort of thing. Um, this July, they're going to have two courses. One is called Confronting Dragons for the first week. And then the second one is called Politics in a Post-Christian World for the second. Um, there are only a few spots left in each program. So if you're interested in this, go to templetonhonorscollege.com. That's templeton-honorscollege.com slash summer to apply today. Um, that's a pretty cool sounding program. So if you have a Tolkien aficionado or fantasy literature lover in your family, that might be a, a good program for you to check out. So thanks for, to them for sponsoring the Mason Jar this spring. Yeah, sounds fun. Okay, let's talk about, speaking of Tolkien, let's talk about books. Um, this, someone asks here, you're going to have a chance here to either defend or pile on Ambleside, I guess. <laughs> okay. uh, oh boy. Person asks, whenever I look at the Ambleside online curriculum, I'm amazed at how many books are assigned per year. And I keep thinking we could never get through that amount. Um, she just mentioned she's got a lot of kids and one, uh, you know, five school children, one preschooler and one new baby coming this fall. Um, so she wonders if maybe my kids and I are spending too much time on language arts and writing curriculum, which gives us less time for reading, especially independent assigned reading. Um, should written narrations, Charlotte Mason style, take priority over learning the progym nosmata uh, for the older kids? So instead of a writing curriculum, should she assign a book such as a living history book and then ask for a written narration after they've read the day's allotment of chapters? Will they be able to narrate that much? Or should I ask them to choose one thing they learned from the chapters and tell that back? Or should I choose a specific circumstance found in those chapters? Um, she says, part of me doesn't like narrations because my children are usually narrating something to me all day long. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> However, once we get through a narration, I'm glad we did. Um, so I guess she's wondering, is a narration a substitute um, for a writing program, such as a program? Uh, program? And uh, I guess what's the what's the balance between the two of those things? Well, first, you want to have the narrations down before you add anything. I mean, there there are plenty of kids who can t handle um, a pro some pro gym stuff um, on top of narration. If you, and if you have time and your family culture fits that in, but you would not want to have the pro gym stuff going on before um, and not the narration. So, so, so what she was saying, say your child reads a couple chapters in a book and you ask them to narrate. I would just ask, I personally um, would just ask them to choose something from that chapter to write a written narration on. Let's say they're, they're, you know, sixth grade through eighth or ninth grade. Um, so, 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 and, and I think she later asked a question about oral narration. So all your kids, anytime you can get an oral narration, anytime you have time to get an oral narration, and, and in some families, that's not going to be as much time as we'd like to pretend it is. Um, that's fantastic. As many or any oral narration you can get from any child, no matter how old they are, that's fantastic. Then moving into written narrations, you want to have one of those going um, from something they're reading each day. But I would let that be up to them. Either I would say I would either assign the book and each day rotate that or I would let them choose 
um, if 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 you want to make sure they're narrating across you know across the curriculum, then you're going to have to assign which book they narrate from because often they'll just narrate from the same one. But then after, so there's the foundation, and if that's all you ever get to, because there were sometimes that was all I ever got to was a lot of reading. Um, a lot of discussion in morning time and a written narration year after year after year after year, day after day after day after day. That's fine. I mean, as far as um, th- that's okay. If you if you do have time, and I really enjoy the um, uh, Memorial Press um, Pro Gem series. I thought it was fun, and I like to, t- as a teacher, I like to have those things to pull out. The kids enjoy the fables, mm-hmm. and um, the, that group and it it doesn't they don't have to be super old maybe 11 10 or 11 where they can really enjoy doing some of those exercises i would i i personally have never used a curriculum as designed um i always um you know i'm if it says it takes a week it might take me three weeks it might take me a month it might take me one week but um as long, I, I think some of those exercises have a lot of value and, and, and the kids enjoy them. And so I think they have, there's something you can do, but they would not ever replace um, a, a narration as far as getting the child to think and process and put down on paper. And of course, at this point, uh, I'm going to say, if you really want to know about narration, you um, then Karen Glass's book, Know and Tell, will cover a lot of this and you can pretty much trust Karen on that because she is an English teacher also. Um, She has a degree, I think in English Mm -hmm. and she knows Mm -hmm. what she's talking about and she covers some of the, um, all right, now how am I going to prepare my child for college? Now that he's writing narrations, what programs can I use to help me get to that point? And, and Mm -hmm. I always add this because of Cersei, but I, I genuinely like even every, like I teach my students outlining, but I teach them using, um, um, Cersei's Annie system because I feel like that's the, that's just something that's just a tool they're always going to be able to use so there so that's the that's the writing part of the question the amble side part of the question is um i know a lot of families who who don't have any trouble i think with year one and two of amble side you can get those because you're in charge of the mom is really doing all the reading and the mom I, I think you. I fit in those years before in a, a year, one or two year period. When you get up to the older years, like year seven, um, I never finish those years in the amount of time. Now I'm a plotter, so I never quit. I kept doing it. When we came back to school in the fall, we just started where we left off and we finished and then we started the next year. So if we finished um, year seven in November, then we might take off time for Christmas and then start year eight in January. Um, it, it doesn't, when you have a large family, you're also picking, you might have some group things going. So you might be, whereas like say your child would be Ambleside year one, Ambleside year three, Ambleside year six. You might just have group time for some of the spine books. So you wouldn't be following each of those years spine books you would just combine all your kids together and that's what the Ambleside for Groups does also it just takes those big spine books like this country of ours our island story and it and it puts them together with the group 
and rotates them over the years. And it just, wherever your kids fall in, it's just fine. Um, um, Angelina said something recently at the um, Kindred West conference about how um, she wasn't, she didn't think it was that important that we, that, um, that kids can put history in chronological order in their minds. We don't have to um, concentrate so much on, um, on the, on making sure that everything lines up, like that their literature book lines up with their history period. Now, sometimes that's a lot of fun, and we enjoy doing that. But but they could actually read a history book and a literature book that didn't line up, and and all would be well. They may actually make some connections between um, other periods. And I've seen that happen a lot. I, on that note, I uh, I was talking to Matt Bianco recently, who was saying that David Hicks was telling him or my dad or somebody. I just said a whole bunch of this person said this to this person said this. Um, I just, that was kind of an uh, unwieldy scenario there. But anyway, apparently he thinks that you should start doing history less in a chronological fashion and more based on um, place. So, and not even geography, Mm -hmm. but like you start with the local. So you teach them local history and you work your way out. So you work, you know, you start with, you know, what, what's the history of my family? And then what's the, what's the history of the place that I live and then the state and then the country. And then if you work your way out, the contexts, um, that's another way of, of creating context and connections for kids. Um, yeah, I, I, I definitely agree. I mean, I definitely think that, I mean, that's what, I mean, that's how we learn anyway. So it, it makes sense that we, we would teach that way. And, and some years do seem it really, I know Ambleside moved ancient history to year 12, um, like the deep ancient period, because it, that that material was more complex, and they wanted to cover certain things, and it just made more sense to do the medieval period, the Christendom, and then move back into that ancient time period. And what kind of insights do you bring um, backwards like that, uh, too? I mean, that's... Um, and I'm also a big fan of having two streams of history going at the same time as far as just reading. You don't, you can read a little American history, like in morning time, you could read a little American history and a little medieval history. You don't, um, it, it just seems to me that that works very, very well. And then you're not stuck with, I've, I used to have friends say, oh, I'd love to read that book, but I can't because we're not going to get to that for four years. And I'm just like, don't worry about that. Just read the book. It's a good book. I'd hate for you to miss it, you know. And um, you don't want to be too stuck in that rigid chronology. Well, okay. I want to. I want to move on from this question because I have a few rapid fire questions that I'd like to touch on that people have posted on the Facebook page. We got some good feedback on that last time. So we covered those two questions in some depth and then I'll spend a few minutes on some rapid fire ones. Okay. Um, I know it's a little abrupt, but I want to get these in for some people. Um, before we have to say goodbye for for this Q and A episode, um, someone asked. Um, she says, "I've seen the suggestion to fit reading aloud in during meal times. I'm curious if anyone who does this could clue me in on when you, as the reader, take time to eat." Um, so that's a very specific <laughs> question. But I guess the more general question is: Did you ever do um, reading aloud during meal times, like as a family, whether your husband or you read or whatever? And if so, um, did that work for you? Uh, we did it a little bit. I wouldn't say that we did that a lot. We did it around mealtimes. Like we might eat supper and then go sit in the summer and then go sit outside and read aloud um, in the evening. So that that happened. 
Um, every once in a while, I tried to read aloud during breakfast. That didn't do well. Sometimes we'd read aloud during this, like a tea time. I think hooking it up to the meal without actually doing it during the meal. If you decide, but nowadays, if, if like you Like tagging do, it on to the end of the meal, you mean? Yeah, like, like yeah. after the meal or before mm-hmm. the meal or, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to read the Bible and then we're going to eat breakfast or... Um, those that kind of thing is really. I mean, using the meals to anchor the day is very helpful, and and it can anchor your reading aloud. Um, but yeah, I, I can't say that we ever got into the habit of doing that. Although I know that there were times when we did do that. We read aloud a lot in the car. Now nowadays you can use audiobooks, but we it wasn't that easy back in the day. Um, we usually didn't have the car that even had a tape player, so um, we would. What's a tape up. player? Yeah, what's a tape player? A, um, who knows? It's messed up, that's for sure. But um, yeah, so, and then, you know. Let alone the tapes. Yes, yes. So so it was more like we would read, we've many trips, three or four trips we took, we would read Farmer Giles of Ham out loud. That was like our family car trip uh, book, go-to book. Um, that that was fun to read aloud in the car. Although when we got a 15 passenger van, it became really difficult because um, you couldn't hear everybody. The the reader would kind of have to sit in the middle and then really shout. So we kind of, that kind of tailed off at that point. But, um, but yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's hard to, hook those things. I mean, I, I think that's just the individual family, how that's going to work in, in, in the individual, individual family. Okay. So another question here, someone asked about kids who aren't voluntary readers. Um, and she mentioned that she's interested in implementing sort of a rewards program type thing, like the ones that are done by certain companies or the library. Mm-hmm. Do you have any ideas on this or any other advice for kids who are maybe not voluntary readers? Did you have any kind of reluctant like they just didn't enjoy the time where they had to sit and read a lot or read to themselves. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we did. And what I, and what I did for reading, I, I don't, I don't really believe in rewards for reading. What we did with our kids were number one, because we had a large family, we wanted free pizza. We did do the book it program. And um, that uh, yeah, helped. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. It was really, um, and you know, the kids loved it and it was very motivating for the new reader. And we just wanted free pizza. Um, <laughs> of the, course. The, yeah. <laughs> so, so that was, a uh, one thing. Um, I, we had one reward system for reading in our family. And that was when you read your first hundred books, like from Bob, from the first Bob book to, you know, we'd write that down. And when you got to having read a hundred little books, you know, that, when you reach that milestone, then um, then we would generally do something pretty fun, like take an airplane ride, like get a, or um, I forget some of the, the, I remember the airplane ride, somebody got an airplane ride, but um, it was like a little airplane ride, not a, like you get to go to Hawaii or something. But so that was always a major milestone because those early readers really do need encouragement and there's no reason for them to want to read and they, um, and, and to motivate them that way, I feel like is is okay at that point. Um, after that, that was it. No more rewards, except for book it. If we were doing book it, th- th- those were built-in rewards. So, well, then why do you not? Why did you not support rewards for for reading? Because I think it's its own reward, and mm. so, it quickly, so 
by by saying okay we'll give you a reward to do this it sort of implicitly suggests or confirms to the child that it's by itself it's not a valuable thing yeah like you need to be bribed to do it because it's a boring terrible thing to do instead Mm of yeah you're lucky you get to read so then would you spend more time trying to if you have a reluctant reader would you try to spend at least a little bit of time finding things that they like to read to help them. Oh yeah. Yeah. I definitely did that. I definitely, um, if I saw a child was not enjoying reading, I would definitely look for books that I thought that they would enjoy that, that, person and some of my kids um didn't become like avid readers till maybe they were 12 Mm, Uh, and and, and generally the kids that were not avid readers early became non-fiction readers and Hmm. then say 12 or 13 that logic well it wasn't still this stage i would rather than say that (laughs) that logical brain thing kicks in and um and they do well, like those kids now, you know, they, maybe that's their reward. It's not the story as much as, oh, wow, if I want to find out more about World War II, I'm going to, you know, read this huge giant book on that subject. And now I know everything. And, and then they become, you know, really engrossed in, in a lot of nonfiction. Hmm. Okay. One last question here, because we got to get going. But the last question is someone mentioned... Um, kind of a Charlotte Mason's for dummies scenario. So some of our listeners are probably, you know, some are very, very into Charlotte Mason. That's why they listen. And some people maybe are listening more for the general homeschooling advice or whatever, um, or mom advice. And so for people who are new to Charlotte Mason or maybe just need a refresher or something, do you have a recommended resource that is serves as sort of a Charlotte Mason for dummies uh, type resource? Yeah, you know, um, I saw some of the suggestions and I thought they were really good. Somebody mentioned Catherine Levinson's books. I think her books are really nice uh, books for that. She isn't, she doesn't dumb Charlotte Mason down, but she gives you a, a good overview. I still think that For the Children's Sake is the very best book to give you a vision. Hmm. It may not tell you what yeah. to do every day, but you first, right. you get that vision. There's the dummy, you, you know, and then, and then you move out from there, um, and, and you move into it that way. Uh, I, I like yeah. Karen Glass, all her stuff. Um, um, consider this is such a great, um, uh, resource for, for really like if you, if you really want to delve into the psychology behind or the, or the, the not the psychology, the, the, um, philosophy, um, behind some of these things and then of course charlotte mason's writings aren't considered for dummies but there are there are some modernized versions of them that you can read online um, at ambleside online where Mm. someone for in modern language so if you're really struggling to read to understand and read what read her um, then there's nothing wrong with uh reading that then uh, karen glass also has taken volume six and what is that? Mind to Mind. She's written Mind to Mind. Um, Anne White has a book about her homeschooling experience, raising her kids. That That's a nice uh, volume for just getting a picture of how other people did it in their homes. Hmm. Right now, the moms have so many, there's so much available online about every little possible thing in a Charlotte Mason education <laughs> that um, I think it can quickly become just overwhelming so to me if um the more simple you can keep it at first the better yeah yeah 
All right. Well, uh, thanks for answering some questions. Yeah. Do you have any, any final thoughts you want to toss out there for people? Um, I'm trying to think. I felt like I had a thought today, but apparently I didn't. <laughs> well, it's the day after Mother's Day. Do you have any Mother's Day thoughts? Oh, that's right. Well, I hope everybody had a good Mother's Day. And I know um, motherhood is 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 can be can be tricky, but for for many of us, and I had a I had a tr- tremendous. God is so good, and um, I had a good Mother's Day. It wasn't a hundred percent perfect, but it was. Um, such love that the the people that I just had a really good Mother's Day. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Well, that's um, good. I took one of my sons said, "I'm sorry, your gift's going to be late." And I said, "You didn't have to buy me a gift. I had to, if you just if you just text me and say Happy Mother's Day, that um, that checks my box. I'm good with that. <laughs> <laughs> now you spend money you didn't have to spend, but uh, <laughs> but um, I had a very good Mother's Day. Well, that's good. Well, yeah. I, uh, on behalf of all the men who are not listening to this show, uh, yeah. I wish all of you mothers out there who are listening a happy Mother's Day from the Mason Jar and from the whole Cersei team, which is mostly men. <laughs> so yeah. that's right. That's right. Did Bethany get breakfast in bed or? Uh, well, no. <laughs> um, she did stay home from church, though. Okay. And I, and I took. Well, actually. Never mind. I took one of the boys to church. The other one was in trouble. It was oh, she stayed. She stayed home. So she stayed home with from church with most of the kids. <laughs> but she, uh, we went over to my in-laws. Her aunt was in town. I, I hope she had a good day overall. But um, for people who don't know this, um, I probably should be put just saying this. She's actually at the end of the first trimester of being pregnant. Yeah, so, I was. I was going to say something, but I was holding back because yeah, I didn't yeah, want so, to embarrass her publicly. So she's. Yeah, so she's pretty tired. So, um, at, you know, that's that kind of colors. So everything. that's what that kind exhaustion. of Mother's Day she had. Like, yeah, she had a Mother's Day being pregnant. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. then we have a our two year old. He turned two a couple of weeks ago. He is an insane person. So, um, <laughs> he's, uh, he's the most. We had busy boys, but he's. I mean, he is. I've never seen him not running if he's not sleeping. So, oh boy. Oh boy. It's not completely true, but it's feels true. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Lots of, lots of you out there are nodding and saying, yeah, I totally understand that. So it's, it's not like these things are something are like, we're the first people to experience these things, but, but yeah. But yeah, but you are experiencing them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and in the moment, like we obviously love him a lot and he's a great oh, kid. Sure. He's extremely sweet. Um, but he's just so busy and it's exhausting. So, yeah. And I'm gone, you know, a bunch in the spring, so that doesn't help. Um, the exa- heard the exhaustion factor for her. So, oh, I bet I, I have a. Um, I was thinking about how I have a lot of, you know, I guess just a lot of sympathy for. I've got a sister who's a mom who is a military wife, you know, so she's got a baby. Well, I guess a one year old. No, mm-hmm. how old is that baby? Getting getting old. But, yeah. Um, but you know, her husband's gone for training and things like that. So that's you know, there's the challenge of that, and um, I travel a lot, and um, you know, it makes me appreciate what my mom did when my dad was traveling when we were growing up. And um, my sister, Katie, um, lives in Africa. She's a teacher there. She's a missionary and she's adopting a little girl. So she's got a foster child right now. And she's, so basically she's single momming and she's not married. So while she was over there, she, she took in this child. And so it makes me appreciate, you know, the, um, it, when I take a step back, it makes me, um, really appreciate the the challenges and the kind of I, I don't want to say the risks but there is some risks involved like the just giving up of yourself that 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 being a mom is um and dads do it and, but it's a very different thing you know so um 
Yeah, I talked, and not to keep going, but I talked about that in my Kindred Talk West about um, a few years ago, someone had said homeschooling moms always look haggard. And I, I, um, besides the fact that I would murder that man if I met him, um, I wrote an article a long time ago about what things that make us look haggard that are legitimate things that God has sent our way. Mm -hmm. You know, you you could not be haggard if you didn't have a baby that ran around constantly and you were pregnant with another baby. And yet, um, those are wonderful things that are, those are primary to the formation of culture. And that that are totally <laughs> un, 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 unheeded or unappreciated in, in the culture, and yet and yet all of civilization rests on on that one act of mm. having these these toddlers, these babies, and producing the next generation and caring for them once you have them. So mm. it's a it's a huge job, and moms are doing it every day. And and and, the, and longer and, and farther we go in this culture, the less appreciated they are. Mm. Um, but and that, that they still do it. And even on a daily basis, I, you know, how can kids really, how can a little kid really, really express or even understand an appreciation for what the moms do for them, right? No, like, even us, even as adults, you know, we don't really know everything our mom really did for us. Yeah. Yeah. And I think probably, I, I don't know. I always feel like, especially on bad days, like how can I express that I appreciate my wife mm-hmm. and what she does for our kids and for our family in a way that's actually like commensurate with what she goes through or what she puts up with or what she experiences, especially like on the, when she's just really exhausted or something like that. Um, and I, I think that probably most men feel like I can't, I don't, as much as I appreciate it, there's not really a real way to express how, how much we, like, even when we don't say it, we yeah. appreciate it, you know, and some of us are better at expressing that than others. And, <laughs> so. and I think simple is fine. And it doesn't, obviously you're not going to do a gesture that reaches the magnitude of those, you know, what your wife does. So just even the littlest gesture, I think goes a long way. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, that's why I just stick to the littlest of gestures. That's right. <laughs> you have succeeded. Hey, hey, I bet you your wife loves that. <laughs> <laughs> um, she, she was, well, maybe I shouldn't tell the story. I don't know if she listens. She was, we were joking around a little bit because she was like, because there were some things she asked for that we, that we kind of got for, you know. Um, right, right. Um, things that she needed and things that she wanted. And then she's like, so what else did you get me? And she was joking. Or yeah, whatever. yeah. But she, I was like, you always say the specific things you want. And then when I go get you something, you get mad that I've spent money on something that, that you didn't ask for. So um, we were joking about how like, it's kind of a lose-lose situation. It, but, it, uh, it, it is fraught with, yeah, pit, pit holes there. <laughs> yeah, I guess. But, you know, and I, I mean, obviously we were joking about it, but there, it, in a way it kind of is like a lose-lose situation. And I mean that. I mean, like, I mean, in the sense that anything like we buy or say is not commensurate with the amount that that we actually owe to our moms and to our wives, um, and, and that's sort of you know whatever gift we give is purely a token, right? Yeah, oh, and it's, it, and I, I think it has, it, nobody, yeah, yeah. And that's why even little gifts are, so, I mean, I went to bed last night and I thought all the gifts and all the things were over, except for the ones I was told were in the mail. <laughs> I'm still <laughs> waiting on those. Yeah. But um, I w- one of my children had left a card by my bed and had written mm. a little note. And mm. 
I mean, that just sealed the day for me because that was a kid who had to go out and find a card and write a note. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's not a grown person. So um, that just just sealed it. I mean, that was it. I was so thrilled with that that gift. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, but yeah, so on behalf of all of us here, you know, definitely wish everybody a happy Mother's Day. And I know for some people, it's an easier day than, you know, for others. Some For some people, it's not a an easy day. There's things that go into that that make it complex um, and kind of a difficult day. So um, yeah, it is. And, and, and it's a holiday we're manipulated into celebrating, um, <laughs> which is frustrating, but we do, we do appreciate our mothers. You know, I, I appreciate my mother and I know you appreciate your mother. And mm-hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. Well, the, David, you and I get to say it publicly though. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Of course, um, my mom doesn't listen to the podcast. I'm pretty <laughs> sure my mom probably doesn't. Your, your mom did. She listened to the last one. So oh, hi, okay. Karen. <laughs> Yeah, happy Mother's Day. Whenever you should probably listen to this in like six months and be like, wait, when? What? When? Yeah. What was that? Yeah, we. Yeah. So anyway, she listens sometimes, at least. (laughs) But of course, thanks to everybody who who listens uh, regularly and to everybody who sends in questions. If you want to send in a question for a future Q and A, you can email me at david at cerciinstitute.com or Cindy, and that's Cindy at ordo amoris.com. Or of course, you could just post them on the Facebook page, and we will try to get to a few of those for every Q and A episode. Um, uh, We have a interview. uh, lined up for later this month you got something for us yeah we're going to talk about recitation and i'm really excited about this interview i think this is a great topic and 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 it'll it'll help you with your plans for next year perfect perfect so we're going to talk about that uh, with our guest at the end of may Um, and in the meantime of course you can again feel free to send in questions and continue the conversations over at the mere motherhood uh facebook uh, group page and you you can find that by searching mere motherhood in the facebook search bar um, all right. So you said no more final thoughts, right? You said that's it? Yep. That's it. My brain right. is done. Fried. All right. We'll call it yeah. a day then. All right. Well, thanks a lot. Yeah. For Cindy Rollins and for all of us here at the Cersei Institute, thanks so much for listening to The Mason Jar and we'll talk to you next time.